when I asked her out right away, she's like, no. Um, but then I, I, okay, I'll go climbing. What, what's climbing? And next thing we're climbing Shuxon with rope, ice axe, front pointing. You know, who does that your first climb? Hey everyone, welcome back to Unbeatable. I'm Jeff Struker. And in the last episode, we left you hanging on the side of a mountain, literally, as Dave Eubanks took his girlfriend on a first date, ice climbing up the side of a mountain. I told you last week that we were going to introduce you to what happens next, and I am so excited to give you part two of this amazing interview. When you hear what happens next between Dave and Karen, not only in their relationship, but where they end up around the world and what they end up doing. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy part two of this interview with Dave Eubanks. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Strucker. Anyway, Karen and I have been married 28 years, and what a gift from God. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that's the physical evidence to me, one of many, that Jesus doesn't hold things against you. I don't deserve them at all. But um, we're married, and without her, I couldn't do this mission. There's no way. I'm not strong enough. I'm not moral enough. And I have too many of my own weaknesses. And, you know, we, have, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And the strengths should never be reined in. They should be full on. I'll just say something about, you know, radicalization. People say, you got to de-radicalize ISIS. You gotta, no, 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 man. You don't de-radicalize anybody. You point them to Jesus and use that radical feeling. I'm going to make a difference in his way. Radical de-radicalization is way of neutering people. Right. Just drop everybody. One, you know, you're an animal. You just eat, sleep, have sex, do a job and do it again and be happy. Life is more than that. The apostle Paul was named Saul. Highly educated, highly motivated, tough dude, tons of energy and ability. And he focused it at one point in defending God. Not a bad focus. In his mind, I'm going to defend God the way I'm going to defend him, which was attack the Christians and make sure they die. He meets Jesus. Does he become less radical? Uh-uh. No one de-radicalizes him. He's a radical for Jesus. Now doing the exact same, with the same fervor, but now full of love, taking God's word and God's truth to set people free all over his part of the world. So to me, that's um, those radical things in us. Those are strengths that yeah. they're given to God. But sometimes, because we're human, our weaknesses can, can turn those strengths and be used in the wrong mm-hmm. direction. And my wife is key in my life of helping me not use my strengths in the wrong direction or not give in to my weaknesses, but choose the better, better me. Like she tells our kids, you know, always be your best you. Pray and be your best right. you. And we raised our kids in the jungle in Burma. And then we, you know, we take them, we don't take them everywhere. I, if I'm, I know I'm going into a real fight where there's going to be shooting. I don't take them. Um, I don't want them to get killed. And what's the purpose? There's many places I have not taken them, but in general, they've gone to every, every area that we work in because there's families everywhere. Right. And our, our kind of thing, since the kids were born, if there's a family there, our family's there. The family runs, my wife and kids run and I stay with the men or whoever in the front. Yeah. But we've grown up together that way, and I love, um, I love that gift God gave us. It's like being in the Army, but I can deploy my family. Again, not everywhere, not all the time, but I remember in Sudan, we were in the Nuba Mountains behind the enemy lines. We got bombed every single day. That's the first time I got shot at by a tank because in Burma, we're in the jungle. We don't have tanks against us. 
And, and that's a pretty scary thing to have a tank lined up blasting at you. That usually happens against the enemies of America, but mm-hmm. now I'm not in the American Army. We had Antonov bombers and fighters bombing us every day in the Nuba Mountains. We were helping people. My little daughter, I think she was nine years old then, Suzanne says, Daddy, we're not just a family, we're a team. And that's just a cool feeling. They got their little jobs. Yeah. And I remember the Sudanese leader of that area said, you brought your family, that means you don't want anything from us. You know, later in the Battle of Mosul, you brought your family, that means you believe God made Iraqis and Americans worth the same because we have our families here. Mm-hmm. And you brought your son, your most precious thing, is what occurred. Defense minister said, I give you my country, my most precious thing. And so those are benefits. That's not why we do it. We do it as a family because we love each other. We want to be together. And my wife says, you know, I can't think of a better life to give my kids than being with other cultures. And, you know, the Korean culture in Burma, you don't have locks on the doors because there are no doors. means they don't steal. What a place to grow up in. And in Arab cultures, who are the Arabs? Come to my house, eat everything, have everything. You know, 15 people on the outside of a truck going down the highway. Get it done, man. Here's my horse. You're not my horse. It's God's horse. Of course, ride my horse. There's no, oh, you're going to sue me. Oh, you're going to break my prize horse. Take my horse. Take my camel. And so for kids to grow up in that environment, also, you know, to know that God is real for them. They can't just depend on mom and dad. They're surrounded by war, by conflict, by all kinds of things. There was one time when um, I was, it was in Burma and I was in another area. I was across in a fighting area. So I didn't take my wife and kids because it's going to be like a fight almost every day. You got to move fast. And our kids are small. There's no way I, I would just be focused on them. I couldn't do my job. So my wife and kids are back with these other families. They're in this village. I'm gone for over a month by myself with some, some of our guys in the fighting area. But what I didn't know is the enemy comes to where my family is and they launch an attack on that village. But the, the Karen ethnic resistance holds the line. There's not really a line, but you know, little jungles and they're holding the enemy back. But mortars are landing around the village and machine gun rounds are coming through. But the families haven't all left. There's one family, the leader of the village, we're very close to him, um, who won't leave. And they're, they're stuck in there. My wife, wife is stuck because she has a thing. I won't leave until the last family leaves. And, oh, man, and the last family won't leave. So my wife prays, and that's just a guideline. You know, if God tells you go, you go. But that's kind of a guideline. And that family won't leave, and they're Jesus' family too. In fact, the leader of that family, he was in the late 80s then. He said, I'd rather live only one day as free than 100 days as a slave in a refugee camp. I'm not leaving. I mean, I've left my village three times when they burned it, and I would die if I stayed. But I'm going to be the last guy to leave. And I, I, I'm just telling a little more about him. His name is Mala, this old man, the patriarch of the family. He killed a tiger when he was in his late teens with a spear. Tried doing that. A real tiger in the jungle. It's not like he had a lot of space to move around in. He killed two bears with just a machete. Tried killing a bear with a machete. And he killed three Japanese soldiers in World War II when he was 13 with a Lee Enfield bolt-action rifle point blank as fast as he could. The Japanese were great soldiers. So this is not a normal guy. And also was a follower of Jesus. And I remember once a journalist walked in, because you got to walk in Burma, and the, this old man, Mala, was next to me. And the journalist said, are the free Burma Rangers good? And, I, and Mala, this old ethnic Korean man, great warrior, loves me so much. He's always pumped. I'm like another son. He pumps me up all the time. So I thought, I'm about to be embarrassed by all the nice things Mala is going to tell this journalist. And Mala says, free Burma Rangers, good. When they follow God, they're good. When they don't follow God, they're bad. And I thought, that's true of all of us. Mm-hmm. So you got a ranger tap. you got a seal thing. You've got an American flag. 
those are great symbols. Some of you are born with, some you earn. But if you don't follow God, they're bad. If the nation doesn't follow God, it's bad. Mm -hmm. If a SEAL or a Ranger or a Marine or an Air Force guy doesn't follow God, it's bad. So that's just a, that's a truism. So this family is a wonderful family. So my wife is in a hut near their hut. Shells are landing. The two girls, at that time, my son Peter wasn't born yet. And the girls, I think, are four and six. No, they're three and five. And they're laying there and they have their little day packs packed because they got, you know, they've been walking since they're born. And you got to move out. You're going to walk out of here. So their day packs are packed. At the moment this other family leaves or the enemy gets closer, they're gone. But they haven't gone yet. My wife is laying there, listening to rounds landing, scared and thinking, I'm the worst mother in the world. What am I doing here? It's just crazy. You know, all those motherly instincts. Are you crazy? These people can die if they want to die. I'm not going to die here. But she said, when I prayed, I knew God just said, wait, stay. And I think this is the key of our relationship with God. It's not what I did yesterday. It's not what our guidelines are. It's what do you want me to do right now, Lord? But as she asked him, it was just stay. And then God spoke to her. Don't deprive your children of the ability to call on my name and depend on me. You're not God. You're not going to be able to take care of them their whole lives. You can't fix all their problems. Only I can. Don't um, overprotect them from God. And then my my wife said, I had the strength to come over me, and I went to sleep. I still didn't like being there when I woke up, but I had peace. I went to sleep. And so um, our our kids grew up this way. And now their two girls are in college at Texas A&M. They're studying to be vet and nurse, and they're riding on the polo team, which they love. They wanted to come on this mission. And I remember they're both teared up when they're not coming because they, they, when they pray, they said, no, dad, we want to come. Actually, the oldest daughter, we want to come, but God has told me I need to finish school. And my middle daughter is like, dad, I think I'm gonna have fun playing polo here. You guys go to another war. But my son who's 15 is with us. And um, anyways, he grew up in this whole thing. So that's a a precious gift. I want to say this to, to parents too. Our family has grown up very, very tight living together like the frontier families did in, in the turn of the century, 17, 1800s in, in America, where you do everything together. And we've always been tight. And people tell me, oh, wait till they become teenagers. You gotta, I never had those problems. Wait till they get to be 20. No. We, when we're in school, they would say, when in college, visit them college, daddy, we love it when you walk around with us. And we're a very tight family. So when the girls got ready to go to school, I was like, oh, that's going to kill me. That is going to kill me. I've never done anything without them, ever. My name in Burma is Ba'u'a'aba. Ba'u'a is white monkey. Ba'u'a, white monkey. That's my daughter's name. That's what the ethnic people call her, white monkey. Aba is father. I'm father of the white monkey. My wife is mother of the white monkey. Mo. That's our identity. That's our love. That's the main thing I like in life is being with my kids. And they're functional. You know, the Battle of Mosul, my 14 and 16-year-old are driving armored ambulances. Some of the guys couldn't drive stick. And... They're, in, they're going in, and they've all been shot at, done stuff, and they lead the Good Life Club. They're playing guitar and singing songs. They're, they're not just, I don't just love them like my kids. They're a functioning team, like, like a farm family would be, or a ranch family. Everybody's got a job, and that's just a beautiful thing that adds to the love that's already in a family. So what am I going to do now the girls are going to college? This is what I love about our maker. He just supernaturally did something to my heart where it doesn't hurt. I still miss him. The day we, we leave each other, I always don't like it, but I'm fine. How could that be? Right. That's God in his love. You know, you can say to yourself, well, they're not mine. He's going to take them later. That's all true, but that doesn't make you feel better. 
But God cares about our feelings and he heals our hearts. And we put him first and we give up our children back to him too. And we don't idolize them. Then they're in the right place. Mm-hmm. And he gives you peace even when you're apart like we are right now. Right. We get guys on my team now that their families are not with them. And we don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. You know, I talked to my mom. She said, I wonder if I'm going to hear my, my grandson's voice again because you're going to go to Afghanistan or you're trying to go to Afghanistan. But she said, Dave, I had this peace. And she's like crying. Yeah. I had this peace. It'll be okay. Yeah. Whatever. Because we're going to see each other in heaven. So anyway, this whole, that was the process. I got out of the army. And then r- right, right when I was getting out, I got this call from the Wa tribe in Burma. My wife and I were married, Karen. And then we went overseas in 1993 into Burma. And that's how the Free Burma Rangers eventually came to be. And then later on, when ISIS started their attacks in Iraq and Syria, we were invited to go there. And then, I mean, in Burma, is my first, re- I mean, in, in, Ameri- in um, the American army, the only time I was ever in any combat was on a recon mission in Honduras in those days. We were also supporting the Sandinistas, I mean, the, the, the Contras, who were fighting the Sandinistas. I'm, Colonel Oliver North is a great friend of mine. He's like my uncle. And he's supporting them from way up in the stratosphere, and I was on the ground. And we had some people shoot at us. I couldn't even see him to shoot back. And there was other people around that I can't even use my weapon. What a bummer. That's the closest thing I ever came to anything. But in Burma, we got shot at many times. We were attacked many times. In Iraq, in Syria, we fought many times. I fought ISIS two yards from me. And I thought, God, what a weird thing. I'm 57 years old. I was in one, we were in a lot of firefights in Iraq. That wasn't our mission. Our mission was to help people, share the gospel, and get the news out. But ISIS would come right to you. I mean, very brave, very committed, running at you, yelling Alu Akbar as they shot at you. One particular incident, they came around a corner. We weren't ready. I was with the Iraqi army providing medical care. For four days straight, I didn't fire my weapon because I just prayed and felt, no, your job is not to fight. You support these guys. And I was like, ah. And anyways, I was with supporting them. I'm next to this guy. We get surprised. ISIS, three guys come up. They're seven meters away, seven yards. They open up. We don't even see them. I get shot in the arm. My buddy gets shot six times, three in the chest, two in the arm, one here. Two other guys get shot, and they run back into the house. My buddy's laying on his back. He's Iraqi, Lieutenant Hussein. He gets a couple shots off with his, with his right arm, hits one guy, just wounds him. And I'm getting all three at seven yards, point blank, shooting at me. One guy goes behind a car. I remember just saying, God, help me. God, help me. And in one fluid motion which is God and Ranger training. I have an AK. You know, AKs are not M16s. They don't have a little magazine. Well, you've got to turn it a certain way. I'm no weapons expert anyways, even with an M16. I mean, I shot expert, but I'm not the gun guy. And so I'm sitting there. The weapon's like this on the ground. Weapon's on safe. I don't even have, I have my hand on top of it. That's all. And this happens. And it's happening fast. I turn. I come up. I'm sitting on my butt. I come up on my knee. The weapon's coming up. It's off safe. I shoot the first guy. He goes behind the car. I shoot through both windows. Six rounds into his chest. Turn to the next guy. I'm still alive. Wow. I shoot him. Turn to the next guy who's been advancing. He's four yards from me. And I, I could tell because later I walked this blood of Hussein's here. And that guy, you know, was there. And I remember the look on his eyes. He put the whole magazine to me and missed. I was only shot by the first guy. And I saw his eyes got big when, when I shot him. And when that was over, it wasn't really over quickly because those three guys are done, but there's more. 
And I remember standing over Lieutenant Hussein's body. I'm throwing hand grenades, yelling for help. He's yelling, like, help me, somebody. Because we had guys, they were hiding in a building. They thought, they thought a suicide vehicle had come. They weren't cowards. They thought a suicide vehicle had come with infantry behind it and blown up. Because it's been happening every day. And someone had yelled, which means something like suicide car. And so everybody jumped in a building and it's hiding. And these guys were just waxing us. So I'm yelling for help because there's more ISIS. I'm throwing hand grenades and shooting my weapon. Lieutenant Hussein's laying underneath me. I'm straddling him. He's laying David, uncle, uncle, don't leave me, don't leave me. And I'm fighting, shooting, and throwing grenades in between because the enemy's on two sides and yelling for help. And I yelled at him, I said, I will never leave you, but I can't help you until I stop these guys. And I was stuck. I couldn't do two things at once. And finally, you know, out of the building came two men, my only two team members, Zhao Sang, uh, a ranger, a Chen ranger from Burma, the Kachin rangers in his grandfather fought with the Americans World War II as a Kachin Ranger with the OSS. But Zhao Sang comes running out with an AK shooting and his camera rolling to these cameramen. And then another guy, a U.S. Marine atheist named Justin, still an atheist. He asked me once, he goes, Dave, you don't trust me, do you, in battle? I said, no, man. What do you mean? He goes, well, you're always, you only trust the Christians, and I'm an atheist. I said, no, you don't trust me because I talk to Invisible God with Invisible Radio and make decisions based on that do you trust me? And he goes, I trust you. I said, then I trust you. And twice in, twice in the battle of Mosul, Justin saved my life. Both times through heavy enemy fire. This time, if you're on that street, you don't want to be on the street. There's rounds just coming down that street and guys already shot. I'm sitting there. I'm on my knee actually fighting or I'm standing up throwing grenades. I'm by myself. You don't want to get out there. That's the street. I know you know what this feels like, Jeff. Mm -hmm. That street is death. That is death. It's just a big fatal funnel. You're not going to go on the street. And he comes running out there shooting and help me drag Lieutenant Hussein back. And now we're fighting. And we have to fight from this house because ISIS starts coming around the house, trying to save Lieutenant Hussein. Three rounds in the chest, two in the, um, two in the arm, one in the hip. We get him, get him squared away, treat the other wounded guys. We're fighting to control this house. I get on the radio and call for a BMP, an armored vehicle. Mm -hmm. No armored vehicle rolls through this part of the city. It's too constricted. All the armor. Abrams get just blown up. But my voice on the radio, I think they thought it was me. And the Iraqis were very close. And I'm an American. They're like, send a BMP. So it comes fighting its way through. Amazing courage. You can't see. They're all buttoned up, just getting hammered. They come up. We load the wounded, including, including Hussein in, and it takes off. And then we stay. I love the Iraqi army, man. They're, they're brave. Brave. We're an eight-man element now by ourselves, surrounded by ISIS. They're not retreating. We climb up and strong point this house and fight from there. But anyways, um, actually, that night we didn't fight much. We kind of hid from there. But next day we're back in the fight. I'm not sure why I told you that whole story. But I remember one thing about it. I said, God, you saved me that day. You can't take on three guys who are shooting you from seven yards. You can only shoot them one at a time, mm -hmm. even if you're the best in the world, which I'm not. You saved me. Help me not waste it. Help me not waste it. And then the other thing I said, Justin, you don't believe in God, but you know him. Greater love has no man than this, and he laid on his life for his friends. God is love. That's why you came out. You know, another time we're in a, in a vehicle going out to rescue families. The ISIS was gunning down, and we drove out there, and our vehicle got shot to pieces. We were just a bullet magnet. Couldn't move. The vehicle was dead in the water. We had, they'd already taken out two BMTs, an Abrams and a T-72, with um, suicide vehicle and, and, our, and our arm. And we had ISIS on two sides of us just hammering us. But we had a wounded girl shot through the back of the head, not the eye, still alive in the back with our medics. 
and a man shot through the leg. Actually, when I picked him up, he'd already been shot. He got shot again in my arms. That's, that's a whole nother story. We're in this vehicle. We can't move and praying, you know, how to get out of here. And one, one, my driver, Iraqi soldier, uh, Muhammad had become a follower of Jesus the month before during the battle of Mosul becomes a follower of Jesus. He jumps out of the vehicle that we're in and runs to help get that girl to another vehicle, gets shot six times. Mm-hmm. And my translator, Shaheen, gets shot and killed. If you saw the documentary, you kind of see the result of that. And now we're stuck. Our vehicle's deadlined. Um, the wounded are still in it. I've got a dead, I'm a, d- a dying translator and Muhammad, the, the shot guy. They're in a different vehicle. They're gone. I'm just there. We're calling for help. Finally, the Iraqis bring in Abrams up next to us. Parks next to us, just blasting at ISIS. And then a Humvee comes up, and out of the Humvee comes Justin. Again, who's this guy, Justin, man? Brown's everywhere, and he hooks us up, totally exposed, and we dragged us out. So I'm, I'm saying that story to say the Free Bremer Rangers, we're not a religious organization. I want to follow Jesus. I want everything we do to be about Jesus. Most of our leadership are Jesus followers, but we've got atheists. We've got Muslim. We've got agnostic. We've got spirit worshipers. If you do this for love, you can be part of our team. We don't pay our volunteers. You do this for love, you can be part of the team. And I always tell my testimony because I know what Jesus does for me, but people can believe what they want. And we've got all kinds. I mean, that little scan I just showed you, we have a Navy SEAL who kind of followed Jesus and then definitely did not and had a major catastrophe in his life, followed Jesus again. And Jesus, not, he fixed the problem. Yeah, he fixed the problem. The problem is always there to look at. It's a fixed problem, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, the scars in our lives never go away. Right. Jesus, they don't constrict us. Mm-hmm. They keep us humble, and they are a testimony. Look what God did. Without Jesus, this wouldn't just be a scar. I'd be crippled. Right. But with Jesus, it's just a scar, and it's a testimony of what he can do. So that's the seal. He's total stud, sniper, medic, Jesus guy, got great kids. And then there's Shannon. He's like me, old, but super stud Dennis. Jesus guy first was in SF a long time. And then we got Miles. Now, these two guys are Jesus guys. Miles is a Muslim um, who was pretty much an atheist until he went to Afghanistan and on guard duty one night looking up at the stars thought there must be a God. And so he's with us. He's the only guy. Who, I, I, my family and I have been to Afghanistan a few times just on our own, visiting friends, riding horses. But he's the only one in our group this on this particular iteration that actually served in Afghanistan. And the other night he spoke Dari to the Afghan ambassador who himself was the director of intelligence and defense minister at one point here in Tajikistan. Um, that, he's posted here now, but he, he was in the Panjshir Valley mm-hmm. fighting the Russians and then fighting the Taliban. Miles um, apologized to him in Dari, saying, I'm a U.S. Marine, and we, we, we um, betrayed you all, and I want to apologize, and I want to do something to make up for it, because us Marines aren't like that. And, most, you know, and all of us wouldn't agree. And we're here to say we're sorry. We're here also to say, you know, what we have is yours. We're here to, to serve you. And anyways, so we have two Christians, a Muslim and another Christian here yeah. in the same room. And then we're surrounded by Muslims. This is Tajikistan. <laughs> and Afghanistan definitely has more of them. So you can believe what you want, but you have to act in love on, on our team. And we have, you know, another kind of corollary is you have to forgive each other. So if you did something wrong, you need to confess it and ask for forgiveness. And whoever was offended has to forgive. If you can't do that, don't be on this team. Yeah. You can be the most person in the world, but we got to do that. Dave, um, you've just described leading your family and being a missionary in some of the most dangerous spots on earth. You 
were in Myanmar during the Civil War, which is still ongoing. You were in Sudan and being bombed daily. You're in Syria while ISIS is advancing on you. You're in Iraq, and the news crews are reporting this crazy American missionary who's right in the middle of a firefight. Now tell everybody why you're in Tajikistan early in the morning doing this broadcast. What brought you and Free Burma Rangers over to Tajikistan? I really pray and I believe it's God. And since people are listening, if you, when you listen to this, I don't know where we'll be. Please pray that we follow God's will first. Because we came here to be ambassadors for Jesus. We came here to give physical help and for people who, who are going to stay in Afghanistan and escape for those who need to escape. And we came here to tell their story, to say these are human beings made in God's image and they count. And when, like I said, I've been in Afghanistan a few times visiting missionaries who were there. In fact, the Taubmans were German missionaries for 20 years in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And they worked for something called Shelter Now, an NGO. Under the Taliban, they, they functioned. This is before 9-11. And they had some young American volunteers come and the, work together. But during the time the Americans were with them, the Americans and some of the staff showed a Jesus film, which is good. But the problem was some Taliban saw that. And so the entire group was arrested. I, I mentioned the Americans because one of them is a good friend, Heather Mercer, but also because they got famous and people might remember that story. But these were two volunteers belonging to a much older organization run by the Taubmans, who were German. And they're all now captured. They're, they're in Kabul and 9-11 happens. The war starts. And George was telling me, I was looking through a window in my prison in Kabul. It's the only time you, the only window was in the bathroom, which is a nasty hole in the ground. You crawl up and you look out the window. I look at TV Mountain. There's two mountains that are right in the middle of Kabul. And there was a big connex on top. And this is October um, 2001. The fight's on. And the mullah is saying, denouncing America because America's now gotten a fight to, to, to defeat Al-Qaeda. And, and fighting the Taliban who are defending Al-Qaeda. And the mullah, a Taliban leader, says, this will be the mother of all. And never finishes a sentence because right then a Jadim comes in and just takes out that connex. I saw the connex later. And the mountain had a little point. It has no point anymore. It's like a little flat spot on top and the wreckage of a connex. And he said, George said, he just cheered. Oh, the Americans are coming. They were rescued by a special operations unit. George told me about. And George and I became friends later. And they were the first NGO that went right back into Afghanistan in 2000, at the end of 2001, 2002. So, I guess 2002 is when they came back. So I went to visit them then. And then later on, we went to visit missionary. Plus, I like to ride. My girls play polo. We grew up with horses. I still haven't been able to play that Bushkashi game with a goat. You know, we haven't hit the season straight. But we were just running around Afghanistan, making friends and riding horses. And I'm grateful. As George said, you know, the American military came in. It was pretty brutal. But it was a needed um, disinfectant for the infection that was in this country. We needed the American military, but without Jesus, hearts aren't going to change. They aren't going to change. And, um, but he said, that's why I'm here. So we'd been to Afghanistan, but we had no teams there. And we've been in Burma 28 years. We've got 100 active teams. We've trained over 5,000 people. We've trained hundreds. We've got 100 active teams there in every conflict area. I spent most of the last eight months walking inside Burma because the fighting's increased. We have teams in Iraq, one team in Iraq, one in Syria. These are all by new believers. We have a, a Muslim, too, on one of the teams, but the others are led by new believers. And 
we have full-on work there. Like, we don't have capacity to do more, I think. We end up in America, and we watch the withdrawal of Afghanistan, which was a, a disaster. You know, you can debate, we, should we stay a long time like we are in Germany, 75 years? Should we stay and try to work through different generations and Afghanistan will change? Or should we leave? I think you could honestly and fairly argue and debate both courses of action. But you can't debate the way we left with dishonor, leaving not only Afghans we promised to save, we left Americans. I was witness to that. I was talking with the American family. They're back in Texas now from Amarillo, Texas. They were at the gates 30 something hours before the takeoff, which happened a day early anyways. And they were not allowed in. And people inside the airfield acknowledge we know there are Americans out there. They have their blue passports. There are congressmen in D.C. advocating for them. They weren't the only four left. There was, I don't know how many, 200, 400. We really don't know the numbers. I knew myself personally of those four and 45 more in a bus that followed the rules America gave, went to the Ministry of Interior in the bus, come towards the airfield and get refused. So that was a disaster by any measure. I can't imagine being a soldier there and watching it happen. I, I pray to God I would have disobeyed an order. I really hope I would have. When you don't disobey an order at that point, in my opinion, you know, we have to follow man's rules. In the Army, you need to follow the Army rules. That's how you function. You can't just wing it, do what you want. But there are some times in life when man's rules, the Army's rules, the government's rules violate God's law. That's a scary time, right? Because we all want to be heroes. We all want to do the right thing. We want to be team players. We know the disciplines that's inherent and required. We know that in our system, the military must be subordinate to the civilian government. That's how it works better. But none of those are holy constructs. They're just a form that we found as humans works well. God is still bigger than that. What would you do if that was my daughter outside with her blue passport? Would you really just say, sorry, honey, I'm going to leave you with the Taliban. It's all going to work out. I don't think so. And, you know, that kind of leads me to the story of the Good Samaritan. The, there was a, a Jewish guy. He's beat up by robbers. He's on the side of this road. It's a dangerous area. If you got to be able to ride means, they could be right around there. Here come a couple more groups of people. There's business people. There's religious leaders, good people. They probably pay their taxes, you know, love their family, fight you to the death to defend whatever their country is. And they're studs, smart, holy, loving people, generous people. They're walking down the road. They go, well, evil's pretty, pretty inconvenient, isn't it? Like, I'm late. If I cross that road at minimum, I'm going to have an honor problem with whoever I told I was going to be at a certain time. Or maybe my boss said, be here at this time. My, my, my supervisor said, I got to do that. Well, I can't deviate from that. And who's that guy anyway? And I might get killed doing that. I got a wife and kids to think about. I got a career. You know, like, whatever the reasons were, they walked by this guy. Holy people, business people, squared away the pillars of society walk by this guy and who helped him a Samaritan, which in those days was an enemy, an outcast. They don't like each other. And the Samaritan is going, he's, he's got a place to go. I don't know whose authority he's under. It's not his mission to cross that road and get killed maybe to help somebody who doesn't even like him, but he did it. Why? Because of love. And I, I just, I just heard this great sermon by some preacher in America talking about this. And I love some of the things this preacher said, it's like that Samaritan when he crossed the road said, my security is your security. Whatever I have that you need, you can have. My life is with your life. Right now, I can help. You know, if I'm in another country, I can't cross that road, but I'm right here. Mm -hmm. You're right. It's not convenient. It's dangerous. It's not my job. I might get in trouble. 
What caused me to do that? What caused the Samaritan cross the road? Love. That could be my son. What caused Justin to run out as an atheist under fire and save me? Love. What would cause some of the special operators and some of the Marines and some of the soldiers in that airfield to break some of the rules and save people, which they did? Love. They put love above their career, above their reputation, above their ability to go home. There were some Delta operators, at least one, killed outside the gate. What were they doing outside the gate when the suicide bomber came? They were rescuing people. That was for love. And that's never in vain. It's never foolish to do something for love. So we're we're watching this go down. And next thing you know, I'm on the phone talking to Afghans. I don't even know who they are because all my missionary friends got out. One of the families of my friends was on that list, that list of birds that went out and people were falling off. They were there. That's how chaotic it was. They were in that one, some of the last lifts. And, but we began to know other Afghans by phone who got our number somehow. And next thing you know, I'm talking to Americans. I'm talking to Afghans. Hey, go to Abbey Gate. Go to Brown Gate. This is the code you need to show them. There's a, there's a great American soldier on that gate. He's going to let you in. We're doing this. And we became very spiritually, emotionally, and every, in every way involved in the evacuation of Kabul. You know, small. And what I saw, Jeff, all over America, there's thousands of people doing this on the phones, calling. Maybe you were involved. It's all kind of people trying to help people. And I thank God for the State Department and the American military on the ground who did help people and, did, and went way beyond their description to help other people. I, I hope I can meet them and thank you face-to-face. Yeah. So anyways, they, I, I look at the Air Force. How many people they pack in that C-5, man? Awesome. Yeah. Go for it. Your life is my life. Your security is my security. I'm going to treat you like I would want someone else. If my wife and kids were out stuck in some other place and there was some other army, I'd want them to take a risk to save my wife and kids. I would. So I'm going to do the same for you. And, you know, the things of life are, are, are precious. But some are eternal, some aren't. And I believe the truly precious things of life are never eternally lost. Mm-hmm. So we can afford risk. Not, we don't gamble. We don't throw life away. But you're never going to eternally lose the truly precious things. Right. Don't worry. You're going to get them all back. Yeah. So act in love. Ask Jesus, what do I do right now? For me, I try to follow every human law until it violates God's law. Then that's the hard part, right? Because right. we all want to be well thought of. We all want to live through this. We all want to retire. We all want those things. And I think God wants us to have those things. But sometimes man's law doesn't fit the problem. God's law always fits the problem. So Jesus, what do I do? You know, when Israel inquired of God, things worked out. Even when they not inquired of God, they're way down the road, it looked impossible. As soon as they said they were sorry, inquired of God, it worked out. Mm -hmm. The same for me as an individual, the same for my country, America. We're great when we follow God. We're not when we don't. And that's a daily decision. So all this stuff's going on in Afghanistan. And then next thing you know, I'm in contact with leadership that are in the Panjshir Valley. They're, the president left, the vice president went to Panjshir Valley and said, I'm going to try to defend this place. And I'm in contact with other Afghans saying, can you help us? And we pray about it. We spent, you know, we're in the middle of all these phone calls. We're praying. Should we go? Where do we go? How do we go? It's not our mission. It's not convenient. It's we're on our way from Burma to America. I got a lot of friends to see. I have some speaking engagements. I promised to do that. I'm going to Syria. I don't need another mission. And what would we do? We don't have a lot of experience in Afghanistan. So we prayed a lot. We didn't just rashly go. I remember finally when one of the leaders said, come to Tajikistan and then see if you can help from there. I thought, I can come tomorrow. 
but I've got to take my truck to my daughter's. I got a couple of places. I got to do a board meeting. But I said, they would all understand that I could suspend all that. But do I have a week before I go? You know, wh- what, where are we at? They said, okay, take a week. So we took a week, which ended up being a little bit longer. My point is we didn't just come over here going, hey, we're here. And then we got to Tajikistan. By the time we got here, Panjshir Valley had fell. There was no organized resistance mm-hmm. anywhere. And there's refugees. There's Americans who are still trapped. There's Christians who are trying to flee. There's people with the, the special visas that work with our government that are allowed to come, but they can't cross for a variety of reasons. There's other people who worked with the military, with the American military that are being hunted. What are we going to do? So we came with a small team to be ambassadors for Jesus, to get help in, to help get people out and to tell their stories. This is our second, third day here now. We've already met some leadership. We've already been and seen a few places. And we're not exactly even sure, Jeff, what we're going to do. But our desire is to take is to go inside and bring humanitarian assistance in to share God's love and help people get out. Yeah. Are we going to be able to do that? Only by a miracle from God. I have no idea. So we're right in that process right now. And that's why I'm in Tajikistan. <laughs> and I believe God sent us. And I thank God my wife and my son and my kids and my daughters who aren't with me all agree. They, this is the mission. Just take the next step. Yeah. So we've t- taken the next step with the desire to be in some part of Afghanistan to help in some way to open up a humanitarian corridor in and get news out. Are we going to be able to do that? I have no idea. Right. Without God, I'm sure we will not. But this is where we are right now. Yeah. Well, let's say that somebody has just heard what you had to say and they felt compelled. Love brought you over to Tajikistan just to make a difference for people that are struggling in their the country to the south in Afghanistan. Let's say that somebody has heard that. They're starting to feel this tug inside their heart and they love is starting to compel them. They want to make a difference. They want to get involved somehow with Free Burma Rangers. Tell me how they can get involved, either in support or personally involved. I think the first thing is pray, because we're just a little disorganization of an organization. And ask God, what do you want of me? You know, I've heard about Freedom Rangers, or you've seen our documentary. I wrote a book called Do This for Love, Freedom Rangers in the Battle of Mosul. And maybe you read that. I want to do something. Well, first ask God, what do you want me to do? Because he may want you to do something totally different. If God made the world, it's God's kingdom. He has places for all of us. And you're never stuck in a place. You never want to sell out for retirement or for a reputation. Mm-hmm. You want to always put your, your desires, your career on his altar and say, God, it's all yours. What do you want me to do? And I think first thing is pray, God, what do you want me to do? And if you still feel led, you can contact us. Our website is www.freeburmarangers.org. You can contact us there. There's an email, there's an info at Free Burma Rangers. I'll eventually get it. And if no one answers you, just keep sending it. <laughs> and because we're all over the place. We don't have a big paid staff that, that work. We got about 40 foreign volunteers right now that help support this. And then about 500 Rangers on the ground. And we're all running around busy. So just keep emailing us. And then the next step is if that, if you make contact with us and you still you feels like something you want to do. And if you're married, definitely make sure you and your wife yeah, and you husband are praying on her. And definitely. And it's amazing what God, I'm a man, so I can only say this about a wife. What an amazing gift God gives us 
in a wife. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Um, you have a couple ideas, right? They're kind of, they're kind of the obvious ones. The, the the spiritual, relational, and physical ideas that are kind of obvious. There's so much more. Mm -hmm. And what would I do without my wife? What a what a at minimum shallow life it would be for me. Now some people are called not to be married. You're awesome. <laughs> You've got a different kind of life, and that I don't work that way. And so, anyway, ask your wife. And I found this with my wife. Every decision that we both pray about, and and it really helps when we offer up to each other and God our agendas, the hidden ones that you're kind of ashamed of, um, the ones that you cause you to manipulate situations because you don't want to admit what they are. Put up your hidden agendas. Sometimes they're even bad, and so you don't want to say them, but they're true. Put up this hidden agenda. Put up the unhidden agenda. You both put up all your agendas on his altar and say, Lord Jesus, me and me and Karen, and she'll go, Dave and I, we give up everything that we love, the good and the bad, and the unsure. We will together obey your single voice. That has never failed in our marriage about anything, whether it's the color to paint this room, or life and death. And, you know, sometimes, I remember once in Syria, we'd been there on a mission, and I was committed to go somewhere else. And my whole family and team prayed, you know, I, I wanted to stay. And we all did this exercise, gave it all up, gave our motives, even the embarrassing ones. Um, and I said, what are you, what's God telling you? My kids, my guys from Burma, because we bring our ethnic team members from Burma, the other Americans on our team, they all said, it's time to leave. If God wants us back, we'll come back. I'm like, no, 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 we don't leave, you know. And, but when we prayed, every one of them felt that I felt nothing. God didn't tell me anything. We did this three times. I always got no answer except my emotion and wanting to stay and, and the logic that was that. And I said, okay, God spoke to you. He didn't speak to me. I have to follow you. Because in the end, our real leader is not me. That's just my role. Our leader is God. And so I found whether it's as a, as in a marriage or as a team, if we honestly give up everything on his altar. He gives us the same unified answer. And even when we disagree, like when it's my wife's way that now I have to follow, I don't like it. I have this peace deep down. And the same for her. Sometimes in tears, she goes, Dave, I know it's right. We got to do what you said. But she, God gave her this peace deep down. You know, when he tells you to go somewhere, he goes with you. He didn't just say, oh, good luck out there. And so this is, so that's the next thing is pray and pray together with your family and your friends. What are you supposed to do? contact us and then come and see visit it may not be a fit we might do some we actually do some good things and we do some real dumb things we do some bad things but whatever we do while you're there it may or may not be a fit you might go well, that's great work man but it's not for me but you come and visit and see <clears throat> and that's how it works yeah so if you are listening to this and you really want to get involved you just heard it pray Maybe you can get online and start to connect with them. And who knows, maybe you go over there and take a visit and just see if this is a fit and make a difference wherever you're at, whatever you're uh, in, whatever you've been called to do, just go make a difference. Dave, I want to thank you, man. Thank you for taking the time out to do this episode with me. I want to thank you for being the kind of guy who doesn't run away from the gunfire but stand your ground and stays in there just to make a difference and to show people how much of a difference the love of God has made in your life and how it can make that difference in their life, man. Thank you for being this guest today. Jeff, thanks for being a stud and a hero. Um, 
I've watched the movie. You know, in Burma, it's one of the most watched movies in our training camp. <clears throat> so you're famous there. Uh, and thank you for putting Jesus first. Yeah, man, it is great to, to see you. And mm-hmm. I hope that one of these days soon, you and I are in the same place at the same time, wherever that ends up being. Man, if we end up in Afghanistan, please come. <laughs> well, thank you. I've spent a few times. I've been over there a few times before, and I would have no problems going back over there again. Yes, yeah, this time there's no medevac. There's right. no, no yeah. close air support. Right. There's no Blackhawk to go down. Yeah, that's it's right. already down. Yeah. Hey, man, thanks again right. for, for being with us today. God bless you. Yeah, blessings to thanks. you too, man. We'll see you. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. Hey guys, thanks for coming back and hearing the whole story of Dave Eubanks and Free Burma Rangers. And I also want to tell you, don't forget that you can follow this podcast on social media pretty much everywhere. Just go to at Unbeatable Podcast. Oh, and by the way, you can join the Unbeatable Army by going to unbeatablearmy.com and joining our email list. Thanks for being with us today. God bless.